Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Agri-Report. I'm Jim Finn. Later on, I will be talking to Darren Carty from the Irish Farmers Journal. I will be talking to Nigel Quirk, who is a tutor in MIC here in Thurlis. And I will also be talking to Minister Joe O'Brien. My first guest this morning is Leonard Betts. And Leonard is with Chagas in the Clanmel office. And he's with me this morning. We're going to talk about labour uh, on the farm because it's an issue on an awful lot of farms at the moment. And it's my first time talking to Leonard. So we'll see how we get on, won't we, Leonard? Good morning. Good morning, Jim. How are things? I'm very well. Thanks for thanks for the God, Leonard. Yeah, all's, all's good. Okay, I said there at the beginning that, you know, labour on a farm is something that I suppose is very scarce at the moment and would be causing some problems to some farmers. 100%, Jim. I suppose it, it, it's a major issue, I suppose. I suppose you could say the peak of the work is concentrated into a short uh, period of time in the year. So... Look, it can lead to a lot of stress on farms, which I suppose not going to fix potential farm accidents. So that's something that obviously we'd be trying to alleviate. So I suppose farmers need as much help on the farm as is possible. I suppose they need to eat and sleep properly to try and ensure concentrations are adequate so that we avoid any potential accidents. I suppose that's the main thing we'd be saying. Yeah, and probably difficult enough, particularly on dairy farms at the moment. 50% of dairy animals across the county have now calved, and farmers have been up with four or five or six or seven or eight calves born every night. Farmers can get very tired. Correct, correct, exactly. No, it's, 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 it's a major issue. So look, yeah, we'd be, we'd be saying like seek help of neighbours or, or family members to try and alleviate, take some, take some pressure off the farmer himself. Some farmers, bigger operators are maybe getting in farmers to come in at night and just oversee calving at night just in those few hours uh, just to take the pressure off. But it was a key area, I suppose, whether yeah. it be a, a beef farmer rearing calves or a dairy farmer, I suppose, is... Try and reduce the likelihood of, of sick animals, so as well as sick calves, because that can eat time. So you'd be saying, obviously, adequate colostrum day one, and then I suppose the housing environment after that, that that's up to scratch, that the stocking density of the house is not overdone. There's adequate ventilation, adequate straw, uh, so that you're reducing the likelihood of sick animals, uh, which obviously uh, uses a lot of time and adds, adds a lot of unnecessary stress on farms. Is there any other areas then that a farmer can reduce uh, the pressure, the work that they have to do, they can reduce that pressure? I know we're going to talk about once a day feeding, but, you know, would once a day milking help? Yes, once a day milking, the farmers that do it, I suppose they they tend to stay doing it, they they, they 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 do it every spring because they can see the massive effect in terms of the, the time it frees up. I suppose Chagas have done research on this. So those that uh, once a day for the month of February uh, only, uh, basically there's, once you go back on twice a day, the milk will come back almost instantly. Milk volume will come back. Uh, uh, so there's not no there's no long term effect on milk volume for the year. If you do it for six or eight weeks, there's a slight effect. Uh, 
no difference in cell count, but I suppose you wouldn't be suggesting a farmer with, with high cell count problems that would, would go down the once a day route. But milking time was reduced by 30%, which is, that's what that's why it's done. And it frees up time then maybe to look after calves and do other work or maybe grow field and set up fences for cows and, and grazing. You must remember only a portion of the, of the herd will be once a day for the three weeks in February, like a lot of them will be for five or six days and when they have in February. So uh, the effect on yield is, is, is negligible. Another thing I notice driving around county and indeed outside the county, particularly this particular February, there's an awful lot of dairy cows are now out on grass. That also takes some pressure off the labour that's needed. Correct. Uh, it's been excellent the last number of weeks. So it's a brilliant opportunity to get cows out. I suppose you still need to be set up to be able to do it that you know your your reels and posts are set up in advance. I suppose a fencing contractor is is brought in to uh, fix up fences that need repair. You have your farm map, you've it set up, you, you know where they're going if you have outside labour, there's no breakdown in communication. And then I suppose the big one is obviously if you've cows grazing grass, you need to spread slurry, you need to spread fertiliser. That's another big uh, eats time, for, I suppose, in the point of view of a farmer doing it. So he should contract out to the contractors. Let them do it. It's done quickly. Bigger machinery. Uh, farmer can do it himself and break down and the day is gone. So farmers must remember there's, there's a cost to not doing certain jobs. Uh, so fertiliser being, the, being mm-hmm. the big one. You know, grass is your cheapest feed. So if you don't spread fertiliser, it's not going to grow. So there's a cost in that. So pay the contractor to come in and, and, and get him to do it. I mentioned earlier that we'd be talking about once a day feeding of calves. Is that an option? Yeah, it, it is an option. I suppose they must be, I suppose, at, uh, three to four weeks of age. I suppose you'd be saying that the, the stomach is too small until three weeks of age for high volumes of milk. So uh, you're, you're saving three or four weeks of age and you're still checking the calves twice daily. They need adequate access to fresh water and meal. From trial work, there's no difference in, 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 in growth rate, but it saved labour by over 30 over 30%. So very worth, worthwhile doing. And then leaving calves off to grass early, you know, maybe <laughs> the third week of March or, 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 or the first week of April, you know, that, that's, that's an option in a sheltered paddock, you know, or if they have a shade and they have access in and out, you know. Uh, that is that is an option if 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 they if they shelter that takes pressure off. Uh, and Leonard, you know, if we're talking there about a thirty percent decrease for once a day milking and another thirty percent for once a day feeding uh, calves over what three weeks, that amounts up to quite a bit of time that the farmer has saved. Correct, hundred percent. And it's, it's, I suppose it's a combination of a number of things, Jim. Yeah. Like you, you might say one thing is enough, but you do a combination of stuff. You can, you can save a lot of time. And obviously it's with, with, with calves and I suppose automatic calf feeders are, are very popular now on farms. And they're saving huge time on farm. Feeding 50 calves with an automatic feeder, you can save over an hour and a quarter per day. So, and obviously milk trolleys and uh, milk heaters and mobile milk feeders, all that uh, reduces time spent with manual labour. 
Well, now we started off talking about the first and most important thing is that the farmer is safe during this particular period of time. The farm, farmer really is under pressure. I would imagine you'd be encouraging that particular farmer to take uh, a couple of hours sleep during the day rather than to stay up uh, maybe for up to 20 hours. Correct, correct. Like, I mean, a, a, an hour sleep in the middle of the day can, you know, it, it, it can do wonders for, for a guy, you know, uh, because the worst thing is lack of sleep and concentration levels aren't right. Mistakes are made and you don't mind a mistake if it's if it's not going to lead, lead to a fire and farm accident, if it's only a monetary cost of the farm, but if it's going to be an accident, and then we certainly don't want to see that. Now, before I let you go this morning, your three key messages so to farmers this morning. I'd be saying uh, use contractors. They're every turn every parish in, 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 around. Uh, that's what they're for. Uh, I'd every herd should potentially look at at once a day milking for a period uh, where they know uh, labour is an issue, and the once a day feeding of calves. I'd see no issue. Anyone after anyone that's doing it after four weeks of age uh, sees no issue in, in, in a calf drive and it's saving a lot of time. So I'd say they're, they're what needs to be look, looked at. Okay, well, look at Leonard. Thanks ever so much for joining us this morning. That listener's was Leonard Betts uh, from Chagas and he's in the Clonmel office. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Darren Carty and Darren is with the Irish Farmers Journal. And the reason Darren is with me this morning is that there is a lovely glossy uh, magazine or booklet in this week's journal and it explains CAP in full. And Darren is with me to talk about that and we'll also maybe talk a little bit about something that's very topical at the moment and that is the price of sheep. Good morning, Darren, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Okay, now let's start off with this, uh, uh, I I, I suppose, booklet that's with the journal this week. Uh, I believe this is something that every farmer in the country should have. Uh, Yes, Jim, there's a... There's there's approximately 130 farmers in the 130,000 farmers in the country. The majority of those uh, apply for the basic payment scheme or, or get a basic payment scheme payment every year. And for each one of those farmers, no matter what type of farm you have, there is going to be changes this year. Now that's it can be even the even a, a farm that might consider themselves very straightforward, very simple. There is big changes uh, right across, I suppose, the whole suite of schemes, but also in the way that the basic payment scheme is paid. And even even around the whole naming of all the different schemes, there's, there's a lot for farmers to take uh, into account and to get their head around. And like the big thing I'm seeing, Jim, is that there is going to be a big workload there for advisors, a big workload there for farmers, and it's to try and understand the changes early so that you can set up your farm that you can have the least i suppose the, the best chance of, of as of as little disruption as possible to your system now i know that uh, farmers were were looking for this piece of information all in one place from the department but 
even the department's road shows weren't able to allay any fears that farmers would have with regard to these. So did it take you long, uh, you know, with the team in the journal to put this booklet together? It 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 did, Jim, and, and to be honest, you hit the nail on the head there. Like, there is a few elements that, that we say still don't know because everything is changing. So, for example, the on-farm capital investment scheme that replaced TAMS hasn't been launched yet. There'll be a dairy beef uh, scheme that will come into place in 2022. That hasn't been launched. But we have about, say... I say for, from the other schemes or from the main important ones that farmers uh, have to have in by the 15th of May deadline, I'd say the information that's there is about 98, 99% complete. So it, even if I take something as, say, for example, like uh, there's a lot of talk around eco schemes or a new component called Space for Nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, eco schemes essentially in the next cap the entitlement values that farmers have now, 25% of that has been taken to fund this new environmental pillar of uh, Pillar 1 payments. Farmers will have to do an environmental action to draw down their payments. But thankfully, for 92 to 93% of farmers, for this year, next year anyway, they'll be able to draw down that payment if they have enough hedgerows, enough stone walls, even, say, areas of scrub. That's a big change in this cap is just while in the last cap, farmers would be penalised for having scrub on their farm. Now they're going to be rewarded. And that's even one element, I think, to get for farmers that they can start to look at those uh, figures now and see how their farm is set up. Are they in a position to avail of the eco schemes without having a cost to their system, even along the likes of, say, the lease of entitlements. It's a big, big business. This, if we go back to 2015, there was only about 4,000 farmers leasing entitlements. If we Last year, that was over 15,000 farmers. So the fact that, say, farmers can now possibly get paid on scrub or that scrub area is now eligible for drawing down payments will mean some farmers won't have to lease entitlements. On the opposite side of the equation, the fact that entitlements are changing so drastically will mean that lease agreements that were done may need to be revised or that farmers that lease out or lease in entitlements are going to have to become accustomed to a whole new valuation of the entitlement system. And that's something that will be big this spring. And as you said at the very beginning, something like that is going to take time to resolve. And of course, uh, it's going to make the advisory service or your private uh, consultant give them an awful lot of work to do between now and the 15th of May. Definitely. Like even the whole concept of just checking maps, because there was a lot of talk there. It's probably five, six weeks ago now around the eye in the sky or, or the farmers yeah. say lands are going to be inspected by satellites. So they, uh, they would have been used to determine, say, whether there's hedgerows, stone walls, drains, uh, scrub land there. And the department, what they're saying to farmers is, look at this. This is a preliminary estimate we have put on it. It's up to you to check it. And it's and when you sign or when you submit your basic uh, income support for sustainability, which is the new name for BPS, on the 15th of May, 
that you are confirming that everything that we have marked on the maps is there. And I think if that was even one message that we got across to listeners is this is to make sure that those maps are right because what you're sort of saying is there now in 2023 is what will be used as a reference in future years for inspections or the likes. Okay, so that's the one thing, and I suppose we better encourage as many farmers as possible. If you have not already got your copy of the uh, journal this week, you better go out and try to snap up whatever copies are left in your local newsagent because uh, that little booklet that's in it this week is something that you as a farmer need to have and need to have it to be able to cross-reference that everything that you send into the department uh, particularly on the fi- before the 15th of May, is correct. As I said there, Darren, at the beginning, we would say a few words about sheep and sheep prices. It's causing a lot of concern at the moment. Definitely, it's causing a lot of concern and, and, and with good cause. If we're to look even at farmers just finishing lambs at the moment and look at the input costs or look at concentrate costs, that, that most farmers that are feeding lambs are high-level concentrates to finish, uh, those lambs are dying in debt, unfortunately, at the minute. The prices are running anywhere from 60 to 80 cents a kilo behind this time last year. So anywhere upwards of 20 euros on a lamb. And that's that's leaving aside the huge increase in, in say, input costs. So if we look at, say, this time two years ago, concentrated prices would be somewhere around sort of 330, 350 euros a tonne. Mm-hmm. Concentrate price is now anywhere between 450 and 500 euros a tonne. And along with the increase in costs, say, around energy, fertiliser last year, it left farmers, in a best-case scenario, uh, breaking even last year. And, and I suppose the big worry at the moment and the big frustration that farmers have is that they're faced into another year that looks to be a a similar marketing environment or a similar cost environment and that they are calling on the government to step in, that they are exposed uh, unduly because of the uh, war in Ukraine and that they're looking for uh, the government to support their systems to keep them afloat for 2023. And what's the underlying uh, issue with regard to prices, you know, do the processors have trouble with the, their their uh, people who are buying from them, and uh, they're not able to move it, or is somebody trying to take a big profit margin on it? No, uh, they, I suppose in, in fairness, uh, the, the the price a farmer does receive for his sheep meat has increased substantially in the last two years. This, yeah. uh, the start of twenty twenty one land prices would have been about. Uh, five euros, five thirty kilo a lamb. People would have say averaged out that year just over five euros a kilo. Twenty twenty two, say lamb price improved as twenty twenty one went on, uh, and lamb prices finished at a at an average of over six euros fifty kilo. The same last year, but unfortunately the input costs have eroded it. And on top of that is the prices now at the moment are seventy to eighty cent behind. This time last year, what processors are saying is that there is more New Zealand lamb in the market. So China's COVID restrictions have had a big impact in this. Normally, New Zealand would send over 50% of their sheep meat exports to China. China has imported 100,000 less tons of lamb this year, in 2022. To put that in context, we export 75,000 tons. So it has imported less 
than the total volume of sheep meat we would put out. That has brought more New Zealand lamb onto the European market. At the same time, there is some inflationary price pressure at the moment as well, and that is having an impact on consumption. So you could say it's, it, it, it's possibly a perfect storm. Markets are under pressure, input costs are up, and, and farmers, unfortunately, are the first ones to be caught in the middle of this. Uh, processors will say pass on uh, processors will sell the product, take their margin and pass on the price back to farmers. And that is leaving farmers in a very vulnerable position at the moment. Okay, well, look at Thanks very much for joining us this morning. That listener was Darren Carty from the Irish Farmer's Journal. And as I said earlier, if you haven't bought that journal this week, would you go out and buy it? Because that booklet will be invaluable to you for the rest of this year. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Nigel Quirk. And Nigel is with me this morning to talk about fair trade fortnights. And those of you who have been listening to this programme down to the years know that I nearly always cover uh, fair trade fortnights as it started out, believe it or not, many, many years ago as fair trade week. But now it's a fortnight. So Nigel is going to talk about it and a little bit maybe about himself. Good morning, Nigel, and thanks for joining us. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here and delighted to be able to speak to your listeners as well. Okay. Now, Nigel, I know you're a lecturer in MIC Thurless, so will you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, certainly, yeah. I'm, I, I work with um, student teachers on our St. Patrick's campus. We have about... 550 um, student teachers that are all training um, going through their initial teacher education program to become post-primary teachers and uh, that's why we're we're very much involved in fair trade because we're very sort of worried about um, our school pupils and our young people in, in, in our country we're worried about their future what with all the changes and all the effects going on and we think it's important that they're aware uh, not only about things around sort of sustainability, but also about fair trade uh, and things like that. And we think that by educating our student teachers, then when their turn comes to go into school and educate their school pupils, then they'll be able to pass the message on um, to, to their pupils about um, how important it is and, and what we need to do to safeguard the futures of our young people. Right, and and that's all very important. As we know, there are so many changes taking place in our world at the moment. So, you know, how and why then did uh, MIC get involved in fair trade? Well, they they've been involved uh, for a long time, Jim. I think yeah. in the past, but it's sort of um, it, it's sort of it's not always been. Um, constant and it's sort of lapsed and it's sort of gone through sort of various sort of phases but what what we realize now is how important it is to sort of provide our student teachers with a a leadership experience that's sort of relevant to their future teaching teaching careers and and also developing stronger links with our local community so we're very keen to sort of link in with Turles Town Fair Trade Committee and also the um, various post-primary schools in Turles particularly the transition year students and to sort of help sort of spread the word 
of what we, we can do in the sort of face of all the changes and things that are going on in, in our world and maybe sort of um, some of the actions that we can take um, so that we're not sort of passive bystanders in, in all this. We actually sort of try and affect change in the world that we're living in and the world with, that we'd like to live in. So that's why we get involved in fair trade. And um, the, the students sort of work on it um, very sort of enthusiastically and they're very sort of keen to sort of get involved. Well, because it, it makes sense and they can sort of um, appreciate um, what we're trying to do and, and why it might be important as well for our young people. Why did you do it? Did you identify that there was a need to inform the next uh, generation of educationalists uh, particularly at post-primary level. These things were coming down the line and that we need to be fully aware of what they are. Yeah, that's exactly it, Jim, because um, we, we, we don't just sort of teach our students sort of how to become teachers. We also sort of try and instill in them sort of important sort of values and beliefs and almost like a philosophy of how they can sort of lead and teach um, as they go forward. And we think it's really important, that, uh, with, particularly with fair trade, because fair trade is not about sort of giving um, aid or giving handouts to people. Fair trade is all about um, fair trade, where we trade instead of um, gi giving out aid, so that we trade with certain, certain sort of farmers that have signed up to the fair trade um, deals and, and workers in the third and developing um, developing world so that we're able to give them a fair price and a decent working conditions and it helps sort of support their local sustainability at the same time and it's, it's a lovely idea that rather than sort of um, um, I suppose handing out aid we're, we're helping them by trading with them and um, so that all, all we ask in fair trade is that when you go shopping there um, to buy um, products or you, you go to buy chocolates or wine or anything like that, you, you just sort of look to see where it's come from and if it comes from fair trade then you're supporting a local community um, uh, in another part of the world which um, is, is giving sort of considerable benefits to them and, and, and their area with regards to that. So you're supporting them by buying sort of various sort of products uh, and things like that. So it's all part of our our awareness that we try to sort of foster in our students. Are they not then, when they go out into this big bad world of ours and they have to stick to a rigid curriculum designed by the Department of Education, uh, yeah. can they not then uh, use a little bit of their initiative and try to follow on from the good work? Now, my own experience is that good work has been done at primary level, but at post-primary level, the whole educational system here changes. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. You're absolutely right. And and it's it's really sort of important that um, although they're in post-primary, they're sort of primarily sort of subject teachers, mm -hmm. the, the, the attitudes and the values that our teachers have sort of have an enormous influence on their pupils. So although they might be a business or a maths or an Irish teacher, they can still sort of um, deliver or integrate things like fair trade and sustainability into their teaching and sort of um, help pass on the, the important sort of lessons to the pupils almost in a way of sort of teaching 
via the sort of hidden curriculum, as it were, where um, teaching through their values and what they believe um, to be important, um, as well as teaching about their subjects as well. Nigel, let's get to what's going to happen in the Turles area for Fair Trade Fortnight, which starts on the 27th of the month and runs until the 12th of March. We, we, thanks, Jim. We have a load of things going on here. We're, what, one, of the, one of the things that we do is um, we, we um, distribute fair trade flowers to our students. So sort of flowers have a way of expressing your feelings without the need for words, as it were. And we invite the students to send a flower, a bit like they might send a flower on St. Valentine's Day, maybe, but they, they send a flower to someone to celebrate a friendship. So they, they, um, they fill out a, a form and they purchase a flower and we deliver it to the person that they would like to have that flower delivered to just to sort of make someone smile or maybe thank them for something that they might have done and to send a, a fair trade flower anonym, anonymously or they can sign it with a personal message if, if they want just to sort of um, mark the occasion. Then, then on top of that as well, we have um, lots of fair trade food around and fair trade food and tasters sort of appear at odd times um, during the, the student's day. So, for example, they might come out of a lecture hall or out of a tutorial and there could be somebody standing there with a tray of fair trade chocolate for them to sample or, or fair trade sweets. And, and we're sort of blessed, um, really, in Ireland with the fair trade um, chocolate that we have, things like Kit Kat Mars, uh, Dairy Milk mm-hmm. Maltesers and all these sort of brands and Green and Black's Organic and Clonakilty chocolate and so on and so on. And so we give all these sort of samples out free, sort of when the students come out of a lecture hall sort of um, flagging a bit or, or mm-hmm. sort of um, having a, 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 um, their energy levels dipping, we boost them back up with a bit of fair trade food but of course we do other things as well. We have post the campaign and we have competitions. We have um, a petition that the students sign um, to give their support in helping us um, with, with our fair trade um, mm-hmm. initiatives and so on. And um, the, the, the poster competition is sort of see, is eagerly sort of um, um, competed with in that the students are asked to invite, uh, are asked to produce a poster that can be used within a school that sort of um, raises awareness about fair trade and then of course we have all the sort of social media outlets going on as well where fair trade facts will be put out on social media instagram snapchat and and, and twitter and, and these other ones there so that people as a result of the fair trade fortnight we're hoping will be much more aware of fair trade and and what they can do to support fair trade practices and 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 why fair trade might be really important for our youngsters um, in, yeah. in in the future. I guess. Then, it. then on, on top of that as well, Jim, we also link in with the Fair Trade um, Turles Fair Trade Town Committee, and um, we, we have all sorts of plans with regards to that. With regards to uh, inviting a, they're inviting a fair trade speaker to come down to TUS. Um, in Turles, where all the transition year students in Turles will be invited to attend, um, to listen to various speakers, um, some of them from overseas, some of them from Fair Trade Farms, and also some of them from Fair Trade Ireland as well, where, where they'll have a sort of a fact-filled mm-hmm. information session there, where they get all the the information and 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 the, 
and the various sort of um, topics that are current um, with regards to that. But one of the nice things as well, Jim, is that the, during the second week of fair trade fortnight, it's shocked in a galga. So then during shocked in a galga, everything turns to Irish. So all our fair trade flowers and all our fair trade food and fair trade facts and everything all switches over to accommodate and to fit into um, shocked in a galga. So everything in the second week of Fair Trade Fortnight is con- conducted through the medium of Irish to celebrate um, and support the start of Shocked and the Gaelga, which is nice as well because it gives it a very Irish feel okay. um, to, to Fair Trade Fortnight. Yeah, I'll have to pull you up there. I'm running out of time, Nigel. Thank you ever so much <laughs> for joining us. I could talk to you for the most of this Saturday morning, but unfortunately uh, uh, other people ha- have a little bit of a say in that. I want to thank you for joining us t- this morning, Nigel, and we wish you and all the students in MIC, uh, the old St. Patrick's College here in Thurlis, every success during a trade fair uh, week. And I know you didn't want to have to give me the date of the event in TUS uh, campus in Thurlis, but I'll have that for next week's programme. That listeners was Nigel Quirk who is an educationalist in St. Patrick's College, as we know it in Thurles, but which is now MIC. Listeners, my final guest this morning is Joe O'Brien, TD, Minister for State at the Department of Rural and Community Development. Recently, he has taken up extra responsibility at the Department of Children, Equality integration and youth and also with me i have uh, michael murray who is the ceo of the north tipperary development company minister you were in tipperary last monday you were on tour now i know you come from farming stock but we'll leave that one aside because we want to talk about your brief as far as tipperary is concerned and we know you have a brief for a social inclusion programme and I know you visited places where that programme is in operation here in North Tipperary. So how did you find it? It was great I have to say uh, good from a couple of points of view it was good to get back on the road again um, I hadn't been about I, I do a lot of county visits as part of my role in the Department of Rural and Community Development as I feel it's particularly important with the job that I have to stay connected with community groups on the ground, to see how they're working, to learn from them, to see what the issues are and, and feed them back up at a national level. Uh, but the Tipperary trip was especially good. Formally, I was launching the strategic plan for the North Tipperary Development Company, uh, but there was a couple of other things that were important about the trip as well. It got the opportunity, I suppose, to acknowledge all the efforts that groups, and volunteers and community workers and organisations had put in during COVID and we forget about COVID but it was still an extremely challenging time. It's gone to the back of some people's minds now but I think for many others it's still quite a challenge. Also to acknowledge I think in particular the last 12 months the welcomes that communities in North Tipperary and beyond have offered to the Ukrainians who have come to our shores as we approach you know the 12 month anniversary of the invasion of Russia now as well. And I wanted to get a sense of what was happening with some of the programmes that I oversee as well. You mentioned the Social Inclusion Community Activation Programme, or SICAP as we call it, a really effective programme in terms of reaching out to people who need help most. 
Uh, it's a national program, but it's obviously operating here in Tipperary as well. And I oversee uh, community employment, the rural social scheme and two schemes as well. So it was good to get a bit of feedback from the ground in terms of what was happening there. But I had a particular interest, I suppose, with my new brief in the Department of yeah. Children and Integration uh, to get a sense of what's happening on the ground for people who arrived here seeking protection, be it from Ukraine or other countries as well. I think as listeners will know, there's been some, I suppose, negativity in some parts of the country in terms of the arrival uh, of people seeking international protection. A lot of pressure on various, I suppose, public services in certain parts of the country as well. I suppose I've been aware, particularly all through last year when I travelled around the country quite a lot, that the good work that communities are doing doesn't always get highlighted and the welcome that communities are offering doesn't always get highlighted. And I think now more than, ever, more than ever, we need to highlight that. And I knew that in Tipperary there are some really excellent examples of that. So I was in Ross Cray and we saw a lot of really amazing work being done by Thai Towns groups, Men's Shed Group, the local Lions, uh, the local Lions Club there in terms of reaching out and doing simple programs, simple projects that brought people from the locality together with international protection applicants and they got an opportunity in a nice setting to meet each other and to get to know each other and to make their judgments based on direct face-to-face meetings rather than some of the rubbish that circulates on social media uh, increasingly, unfortunately, as well. And I went to Boris Akane as well. Had a, I did a short run Good. with the Sanctuary Runners, uh, a really excellent project as well that's operating in a few places in Tipperary. And again, that, I suppose, principle of trying to create a project, a programme, an event that brings people who are here seeking protection together with uh, people who are living in the locality. If we could replicate that across the country, and that's what I'm interested in doing and interested to see how it's being done, I think the country would be in a much better place now, and it's certainly part of my role over the next two years or so, however much time we have, to, I suppose, take these learnings from the community groups that I've met uh, in Tipperary and try to apply them at the national level as well, because I think at our heart we're a welcoming people and I think ourselves in, in government need to support local groups to be in a position to, to hold out the hand of friendship as well. Yeah, you mentioned children, and uh, during your visit to North Tipperary or the northern part of Tipperary, that's supposed to be politically correct nowadays, we met an awful lot of little children. Their parents weren't born here in Ireland, but was it great to see them here, particularly in Boris Cain. Uh, you know, we even had little children running. Yeah, and I, and I, I think... At that level, you see integration and, I suppose, cooperation happening at a, at a natural level. You know, kids don't have any preconceptions about the other kids that they might meet as well. And I think we need to, so I suppose, break down the them preconceptions that people have about new people coming to a community. And there's really only one... There's, well, there are several ways to do it, but the best way to do it is always just to get people to meet each other in an appropriate setting and in a good setting where they can interact with each other. And that's... And that's what I've seen, I suppose, in spades, in, in, in Ross Crane and Boris Akane in particular, uh, there, there recently. And what can anybody listening to us on this Saturday morning, what can they do to help the integration? Well, I would say look to what groups are active in your community. And I've mentioned a few sports clubs as well. And is there, is there people in that community? And I'm speaking in the broadest sense here now who you think might benefit from, from being involved in that particular community group. I'm talking in very broad principles here now, but I think they can be applied across sports groups, community groups, uh, any sort of collective activity that happens in the community. 
it can always be broadened. Uh, you know, when you're in a club or when you're in a when you're in a group and you're often in a comfortable sort of zone where you, you meet the same people every week and it's it's important to do that as well and to make the social connection. That can always be broadened, I think, and, and, and I think groups are the richer for it and society as a whole is the richer for it and individuals are too, uh, be they from other countries or, or from Ireland, you know. So your message really is that local sports groups, local drama groups or whatever the case may be, which Absolutely. are, you know, cover the whole 26 counties, that, that they should really welcome these people in and then they're all the better for it. I think so, and there's a natural inclination to do this as well, I think, and, and, and as, as I said, I'm trying to take every opportunity I can to encourage people to do that. Big opportunity coming up next month as well, I think, with St. Patrick's Day parades as well. It's the, it's the perfect opportunity, I suppose, really, to, to reach out to hand and, and make people feel part of Irish society, you know. Okay, well, look, thank you for the few words. Now, you. you mentioned you came here, and one of the other tasks you had was to launch the strategic plan for the North Prairie Development Company. And with us we have Michael Murray. Michael, are you pleased with how uh, today went and with lovely words that the Minister spoke earlier? Uh, on yeah, so I suppose first of all, just to acknowledge that the Minister took time to come and visit North Tipperary. And um, the Minister's brief is very wide-ranging and... and um, covers a large element of the work of local development companies now. Um, the social inclusion programme has, has really grown to be probably one of the biggest programmes with, within our Tipperary, where we have 12 staff directly delivering services to vulnerable individuals and communities, and including a number of uh, Ukrainian staff providing support directly um, to new members of the Ukrainian community. And just to follow on in the Minister's words, facilitating integration and links with schools and community work, community initiatives and that I suppose. We have seen today that it's not North Tipperary Development Company really, it's the local community groups in Boris Kane and Ross Grey that have got involved, whether it's the Lions Club or the Guards or Ross Grey Tidy Towns and the ETB locally. So hu- huge... Um, huge connections and cooperation in Bursa came where we are now huge pride of the success of, of, of the project that started in 2019 and there was a, a clear effort on the community to have a local committee and to have integration um, so we're a large, large aspect of what we do as well is around um, employment schemes for people to progress towards employment so with the, the two schemes, uh, community employment and rural social schemes, the Minister has a, has a focus on both, and they're not only allowing opportunities for people to progress towards employment, they're providing valuable community services in the areas that they operate within. Minister visited our youth centre as well this morning and saw the links between the ETB and TUSLA and the Department of Justice and that. So, all in all, we're, we're delighted to have the Minister to put a focus on our work to, to recognise the, 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 uh, our connections with the community. OK, Michael, Minister, thank you so much for a few valuable minutes with, with both of you. That, listeners, is Ag Report for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me, Jim Finn, at the same time next week for another Ag Report on Tip FM. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock and after that, Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way.